Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. So, Len, what is your topic for today's podcast? Oh, and by the way, Len, nice to see you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello to you too, Dean. Uh, Well, you know, and recently we've been talking about the current CRA rule and the proposed CRA rule, but we haven't discussed what's really going on, what's happening in the field when examiners apply the rule in actual bank situations. So I thought that might be an interesting topic topic to focus on today. Oh, certainly sounds interesting. So what's happening in the field that's gotten your attention aside from all the things we've been talking about lately? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dean, we, we've noticed a worrisome trend in the last couple of years, a trend that seems to be accelerating in the last year in particular. What I'm referring to is regulatory pressure on banks to expand their assessment areas to nearby urban communities, even when banks don't have branches in those communities. The trend is of particular concern because how a bank delineates its assessment area is by far the most consequential CRA decision they will ever make. This is because the configuration of an assessment area directly affects a bank's CRA performance, such as its penetration rates, lending in low and moderate income tracks. But not only does the assessment area configuration affect the bank's performance, it also immediately and directly impacts the performance standards against which a bank's performance is compared. So artificially expanding assessment areas to satisfy a regulator is a double whammy for banks on whom they are imposed. A bank's penetration rates in the key CRA lending tests, such as lending in the LMI neighborhoods, uh, is diluted and the market-driven performance standards are inflated at the same time. So hence the double whammy. It's bad news both ways for banks. So... The consequences of an artificially expanded assessment area can negatively affect a bank by setting up unrealistic performance standards. Can this kind of thing cause a bank to fail its exam? CRA? Uh, Yep, definitely. Definitely a a potential uh, outcome. In most cases, the expanded assessment area that we've seen annexes a disproportionate number of low and moderate income tracts in urban areas where a bank has no branches and where it has serious competitive disadvantages. And often the expansion into urban communities places a community bank in competition with major money center banks that do have offices in the expanded area. So I really uh, understated the impact when I described it as a double whammy. It's actually a triple whammy when we add this last factor into consideration uh, and the disadvantages that uh, a community bank is coerced into uh, confronting when it's uh, uh, pressured to expand its assessment area to something that might be unreasonable for it to serve. Yeah. And, and you know, what the regulators say, or more importantly, what the regulators do when they push on a, on a bank to annex a nearby urban area. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Just, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, having to support that. Um, you know, uh, it sounds sounds like a challenge to me. Oh, yeah. We are, well, what, what happens, what we've been seeing in the field is regulars take one or two tracks, 
One is they do threaten redlining accusations. Uh, your bank's avoiding the low mod areas and you know we're gonna have to send this down to Washington. And that's really a frightening phrase to hear. Uh, and in other situations, they basically say, we're not gonna approve your branch, uh, your branch applications because uh, until you remedy this and you expand into this nearby urban area. So, and we've seen in the last year alone, in particular actually is beginning of 2022, which we're now in the second half of, uh, we've seen it really accelerate. I've seen at least three or four situations that we've been asked to uh, called into and to uh, help these banks out that are being confronted by these demands for the regulators. It's a real concern. Yeah, and I've seen actually in, in some of our uh, work that we've collaborated on and and uh, is the uh, is the drive time, such as CRA, when we're working on uh, assessment area, that you guys have been including really detailed maps of the drive times from branches, which helps, quite frankly, address these types of things. But what else, you know, uh, what can a bank say or what can they do in, in these types of situations where they, uh, you know, where the regulators have essentially threatened them on it? Yeah, well, I know it's easier said than done, but a bank really should be prepared to resist the pressure because the consequences are so adverse. Uh, this means that you, you have to establish the basis for the configuration of the assessment area, which you should do right from the get-go anyways. Every bank, when it delineates an assessment area, should have a simple paragraph in which it identifies the factors it considered uh, that led it to determine how it's configuring its assessment area. So a bank should be prepared to demonstrate how it's laid out the practical market that the bank can reasonably be expected to serve. The regulation and the interagency Q&As explicitly state that a bank can adjust its assessment area to the area can reasonably be expected to serve. So it's pretty explicit in the regulations. There is some latitude allowed to banks. Uh, and, you know, this interpretation of what's reasonably be expected to serve, you need to lay that out. So the first thing uh, to lay out would be a bank's branch system and to determine what the practical service area that can be served by the bank's branches is. Now, we've helped banks do that by uh, drive times, like you alluded oh. to. Many of our oh. listeners might say, think, what's drive times? Well, uh, computerized mapping today allows computers to map out areas around points that are chosen. In this case, it would be branches, bank branches. And it can do, it can shade in the areas that fall within a prescribed drive time, five minutes away from a, a branch, 10 minutes away, et cetera. So you can see basically what the practical service area the branch is. People are not going to drive 30 minutes to their branch, basically, unless they're giving the money away. So, but five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, that kind of a thing. So that helps to uh, paint a picture of what is the practical service of the branch measured by its accessibility to consumers, how long it takes them to get to that branch. You know, and by the way, uh, while modern technology has made uh, access to banks, uh, facilities like deposits, uh, easier using remote deposit capture. I use it all the time. Uh, I still bank with my local bank. I don't have relationships with banks that are a hundred or 500 miles away. So I, I this concerned by the regulators about, uh, the impact of, uh, the internet and, and modern technology and maybe, uh, banks gathering deposits from, uh, communities that are so far removed from their branches, I think is overstated. And even the regulars are guessing at it because they don't have the, the, the data, the empirical data to back up what they're conjecturing about the impact uh, of modern technology and deposit gathering by banks. 
So that's the first thing is I would look at the bank's branch system and what the practical service area the branches are as they're laid out. And I would definitely use drive times and things like that to measure that. Then I would look and review the uh, the market campaigns of banks engaged in to demonstrate that the communities that the bank's targeting for service are consistent with that assessment area. The third thing I would look at is it'd be helpful to geocode and map a bank's depositor, not deposit, but depositor locations to demonstrate where a bank is drawing its deposits from. Remember, the Community Reinvestment Act is all about what? Reinvesting in the communities where a bank draws its deposits. So no one knows. The regulators don't know. Banks don't geocode their deposits. It's not mandated right now. And therefore, uh, showing to the regulators that you're drawing your deposits from within the community as you've defined it would be very helpful in resisting this regulatory pressure. It also would be very interesting, I think, for banks to discern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think there'd be more curiosity and interest in that, right? I mean, well, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it was pretty curious, too. I mean, when we did that, uh, I know you spent a lot of time on it when you did those uh, the uh, deposit based facilities mm-hmm. under the old uh, notice of proposed rulemaking for CRA. Yeah. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, because we found that 85% of the depositors for the, the couple dozen banks we did were within 80, uh, 85% of those depositors within 10 miles of the bank's branch system. Yeah, so, incredible. Uh, incredible. Yeah, 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 very good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and the fourth thing we would recommend is a bank should review its natural, the natural and man-made barriers that may affect the ability to serve a neighborhood, like, you know, rivers and mountains, as well as interstate highways and facilities such as military bases can legitimately be taken into consideration. This is in the regulation and in the Q&As. So it's important to always lay out a defined community in a positive way and to avoid explanations as to why a bank didn't include a community. Never get into the negative side of things on that. And when you document what you've done, you emphasize why you've done it, not why you didn't do something else. Positive explanations are always the way to go when establishing an assessment area boundary. However, if examiners push an unrealistic assessment area, a bank can point out all the foregoing points to show or demonstrate why it has delineated the assessment area the way it has, and then show how the proposed expanded assessment area that the regulators are pushing on them is unrealistic. Yeah. So when a bank pushes back and points out that an unrealistic assessment area will artificially inflate their CRA performance expectations and standards, what what do examiners say other than that? Look, of we're going to get you. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't be laughing. Yeah, I know. Not a laughing thing, uh, it's not funny. So if, you, if you have a, you have to have a sense of humor and regulatory yes. compliance, yes. no doubt about it. Well, you know, in these situations, I've heard regulators assure banks that they won't stringently apply the performance standards that unrealistically inflate the performance standards in the expanded assessment area. They usually assure a bank that the impact on the expanded assessment area will be a performance context factor that they will consider when they evaluate a bank's performance. Oh, boy. Yeah, I've heard that before. The difference between between the exit and what the final document says. I mean, that's always concerning. So how does a bank respond to that position? 
Well, effectively, this recognizes that the bank's in a defensive position at the very start of the CRE exam, with a foregone conclusion that the bank is highly likely to have a performance below the market-driven standards uh, that are based on the expanded and unrealistic assessment. That's a bad way to start a CRE exam. It puts the bank at the mercy of the examiners from the get-go. And think about this theme, by the way. So you're being accused of maybe redlining because you're you're not delineating uh, a nearby community as part of your assessment area, and therefore you're not doing enough lending over there, et cetera. Well, think of this. If you go and you cave into this uh, demand for an expanded assessment area, well, then you're really in a pickle because if you don't lend over that way in a sufficient amount, now you've told the regulars, oh, yeah, this is my uh, market. And and if you're not serving that market, then the redlining risk is even greater. So ironically, in a strange way, capitulating on this these demands, if they're unrealistic, uh, actually sets the bank up for even a more harsh judgment about redlining and makes them actually even more vulnerable because at least before they expand the assessment, they can say, look, here's what we're doing and here's where our market is, et cetera, et cetera. And that's why we're not lending over here. But now if they've annexed this expanded area, then they have an affirmative obligation to lend in that area. So they're more vulnerable to redlining charges. So it's ironic by caving in, by going along with the regulars, what they're demanding, you darn well, if you do that, you now really have to go and perform in those areas, or you're going to be even more vulnerable to redlining accusations. Yeah, and that's just so unfortunate. My experience has been totally different in the sense that I've, I, I think financial institutions have been very proactive in addressing the very concerns that regulators should be looking at. And so, um, it, you know, I think they've done a, a, an exemplary job. Obviously, there's room to do, you know, room for improvement always in any institution. But the stance that we're seeing with regulators is kind of, uh, mm-hmm. I'll just say extreme. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. certainly a, a, a pendulum swing in the opposite direction. So, you know, how have the banks responded in your experience? Well, we have recommended that banks assure the regulators that they have intentions of growing the bank. But their first priority is to serve the communities where the bank has its branches. A bank's first duty and primary duty is to serve the depositors and the borrowers in branch-centric markets. Once a market base has been established, the natural progression is to annex nearby communities. And sometimes that can buy the bank some time to uh, figure out what it's going to do. Uh, We've seen regulars back off at least uh, for one round of examinations, and we're waiting for the next round to happen. Yeah. I know I always say this. I have one more last question, Len, but I, you know, I'm just, I, I've been trying to figure this out. What do, what do you think is driving this trend? I mean, I just, I, I, I mean, we, I know um, we talk all of this a lot, but. <laughs> well, I know it's come, going to come as a shocker to you, Dean, but it is politics and it's originating in Washington. We have one bank we were called into uh, consult with recently that told us that their local examination team from the OCC had no problem with their assessment area configuration, and not only for the last CRA exam, but through many previous CRA exams. But during the current CRA exam, the S- the assessment area configuration, was ra- configuration issue was raised not uh, by the local examination team, but by Washington. The local team was directed by Washington to uh, question and push the bank to expand into a nearby urban area where they have no facilities whatsoever. 
And they've been, this bank, by the way, has been around for 150 years. Uh, it's largely in the rural areas of upstate New York, but it's squeezed between two big cities up there. And all, all of a sudden, the regulators are showing and putting pressure on them to expand into one of those nearby urban communities. So I can only say that banks to banks that they should be prepared to hold their ground as long as they have a reasonable basis for their assessment area delineation, because annexing an unrealistic assessment area will have too many negative effects. Yeah, so that's uh, just great information, Len. Really appreciate it. And certainly on point, given everything that we've been talking about today and recently uh, with uh, CRA and fair lending and, and UDAP. So uh, this is Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting. And this is Len Suzio of GeoDataVision saying thank you for listening to today's podcast. And please let us know of any topics you would like to hear in future podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and GeoData Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.